You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Turn in our Bibles to John chapter 6, and I will read the first 21 verses of, uh, of our text, our sermon text this morning, and then I will turn it over to Jordan. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were, who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fra- fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea was rough because of a strong wind, because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, Is it I? It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. All right, Jordan, I'm going to turn it on over to you. All right. Well, good morning, Redeeming Grace, and uh, whoever else might be tuning into the live stream, and then also everyone else here this morning. Um, I, you know, this obviously isn't the, the, um, the greatest or the, in terms of delivering a message, I would rather it be, see all of you guys' faces and being able to, to worship even in song. Uh, We obviously can't do that this morning, and so... Um, but we're thankful for this means to be able to bring God's word and pray together and be reminded of of all of God's promises in his word. So um, so John chapter 6, um, this past week, uh, my wife, my, my wife told me um, or showed me this commercial um, that was probably released I don't know, early 2000s, late 2000s, and it was a Mercedes commercial. And the Mercedes commercial um, basically begins with this lady walking into a library, and she says, 
uh, to the library attendant, I'd like to order a milkshake, some fries, and a soda. And the library attendant kind of looks at her like, uh, ma'am, this is a library. And, uh, and the lady sort of in distraught, she kind of looks around and she says, I'd like to order a milkshake, some fries, and a drink. <laughs> totally misses the point um, of, of the library being a place where you go and you get books, not order food. However, she did understand that she was to be quiet in the library. And today in John chapter 6, what we have is really a misunderstood Jesus. And, uh, and how Jesus, throughout his ministry, was, was misunderstood um, quite often, very regularly. But we really get to see that today in John chapter 6. We see a crowd that was misunderstood by Jesus. Particularly the, the crowd misunderstood Jesus' purpose. We also see his own disciples um, misunderstand Jesus' power. Um, we also see that, and, and most importantly, what we see is that despite the crowd's misunderstanding of Jesus' purpose and the disciples' misunderstanding of Jesus' power, that, Jesus, that does not stop Jesus from doing the impossible. Jesus performs two magnificent miracles, um, one being the feeding of the 5,000, which in terms of scale, this was the largest mir- miracle that Jesus had performed. Um, some Bible scholars believe that uh, it was more than 5,000 people that were present. John just mentions uh, men being present. However, some Bibles, the other gospel accounts report that there were women and children there. So this miracle would have been upwards of 20,000 people that were, that were receiving this miracle from Jesus. Uh, Jesus turned uh, five barley loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 20,000 people. But first today, let's, let's look at the crowd's misunderstand, uh, misunderstanding of Jesus' purpose. So if you have your Bibles, um, begin by, by looking at verse 2. We see this large crowd was following Jesus because of the signs um, that he was doing uh, on the sick. They, they, were, they were looking to Jesus, following Jesus, uh, to see the miracles and partake of the miracles that Jesus was performing. Um, we've seen a, a number of miracles so far uh, throughout our journey, throughout the Gospel of John. Um, one being the miracle in, in chapter 2, the first miracle of Jesus, of him turning water into wine. Uh, the second miracle was the healing of an official son in chapter 4. Um, the third was the healing of a sick man in chapter 5. Um, John also mentions in John chapter 20, verse 30, that there was many other signs and miracles that Jesus performed throughout his miracle, or throughout his ministry. And, and, uh, and that's exactly why the people were, were following him, um, is because they, they, they would have known of these miracles and these signs that he was performing. Um, however, they they misunderstood that that wasn't the reason, the real reason why Jesus came. Um, his miracles and his signs were, point, were to point to a greater reality of himself and of the kingdom of God, and particularly of him being the one who, is gonna, who has the ability to grant eternal life. Uh, Jesus did not come only to provide for physical needs. And, and we see that in John chapter 6, um, particularly a little later, when Jesus tells them in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Jesus is saying, hey, my purpose isn't to come to just bring food. Um, my purpose is to come and to bring eternal life. And I am the one who can grant eternal life. And, and, the, and however, this crowd, they, they would have just saw Jesus being one to provide for physical needs, um, which is true. Jesus did provide a need. These people were hungry and he fed them. However, it was to point to a greater reality of himself and him being the bread of life. Um, 
The second thing we see how the crowds misunderstood Jesus' purpose was that Jesus came, um, or Jesus did not come to be a political Jewish king. And if you look in verses 14 and 15 of uh, chapter 6 here, um, when the people saw the sign that he had done, so Jesus got, just got done performing this miracle of, of the feeding of the 20,000 people, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So after Jesus performed this miracle, they're like, man, this king would be really convenient for us. <laughs> this king can do miracles. This, this king can feed us and turn five barley loaves and two fish into enough food to, to fill our bellies. Um, what a nice king that would be. And, and Jesus, perceiving them in verse 15, then that they, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, uh, Jesus withdrew, drew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus wanted nothing to do with, with the idea of him being a political Jewish king, um, despite what the people would have wanted. That's what they desired. Who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't want a convenient king to serve their needs and to provide food <laughs> in, in an hour of need? Um, but the thing is, is that Jesus didn't come to be a convenient king. Jesus came to be the king. And, and us being hungry as humans just points to a greater reality of, of our hunger and thirst for eternal life. And Jesus came to grant eternal life. Um, what does this mean for our lives today is the question. Uh, some of us might find ourselves oftentimes misunderstanding Jesus' purpose. Um, and maybe we've bought into the lie that when we follow Jesus, then, then everything is going to be, be good in our lives, that, we're gonna, that he's always going to provide for our physical needs, and he's going to bless us. Um, you know, if we're following Jesus, Jesus didn't come to just serve you and to serve your physical needs. Um, Jesus came to be served and to to be made king, regardless of your physical needs are met or not. Now we understand as, as, as God's people, he does provide for our needs. He does bless us, but that is not the only reason he came. That's not the only purpose that's not the only reason why he came. He came to give us life, eternal life. He came to be the atonement for our sins. He even says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he didn't say, hey, you need, you, need, you need to eat. He said, you need spiritual renewal. You need, you need a new nature and, uh, by, by, by the Spirit. And that's what Jesus came to do, to give us new natures, to forgive us of our sin. And his death, burial, and resurrection is, is the real purpose of why he came. So we as Christians, we do care for physical needs, but we care much more about the eternal state of people's souls. So Redeeming Grace says we are loving our neighbors. Yes, it's okay to meet physical needs, but not physical needs only. In our meeting of physical needs, we need to proclaim the gospel as that is what God pristinely cares about. Um, The second point uh, is the disciples misunderstand Jesus' power. So not only did the crowds misunderstand Jesus' purpose, the disciples misunderstand Jesus' power. Well, how? Let's look first um, in verse verse 5. Lifting up his eyes, uh, this is Jesus, uh, then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip. So there was this, Jesus had traveled to this mountain across the sea, and there was this huge crowd following him to see a sign. Jesus looks at them and then he turns to his, his disciple Philip and he says, hey, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? The Gospel of John doesn't make mention of it. However, in the other Gospels, we know that this would have been an evening and Jesus was teaching all day long and these people were getting hungry. And Jesus saw a need 
and he asked Philip, hey, where are we going to buy bread so these people may eat? In verse 6, we know that Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what, what he would do. And Philip answered him, hey, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough for each of them to get a little, which that amount of money would have been about nine months worth of, of wages equivalent to today's um, monies. But, and Philip says like, hey, that's, it's impossible. Um, so Philip misunderstood Jesus' power. He didn't quite fully understand that Jesus was God and he was able to do the impossible. <laughs> Philip looked to physical possibilities uh, to answer an impossible question. Um, not only did Philip misunderstand Jesus' power, but Andrew, Andrew misunderstood Jesus' power. Um, look a little later. One of the disciples in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? <laughs> like, I've searched this crowd of 20,000 people, and I've only found a boy who, who brought a little bit of food to just take care of himself. Um, but what is that? What is that going to do? We don't have enough to, to feed all these people. Andrew looked to human odds for the impossible. Misunderstood Jesus' power. Not only that, but even in the walking of, on, on water, Jesus performs this miracle of, of walking out on the water. Um, and, and his disciples were, were afraid. And then also, the Gospel of John doesn't make mention of this. However, in Mark 6, 52, if you have your Bibles, actually turn there real quick. Uh, Mark Chapter 6, verse 52. Um, so this is right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 had happened, and then also right after Jesus had walked on water. Um, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. <laughs> like the disciples, after Jesus performed the miracle, after Jesus had walked on the water, they still didn't understand. They still were looking to physical possibilities, to human odds, to, to, to make an answer for the impossible. Um, and and they, they misunderstood Jesus' power. And, uh, and they kept trusting in, in physical possibilities and human odds. The question for us this morning is, where do you turn when all human odds and physical pop, uh, possibilities are against you? Where do you turn? Where do you turn in an hour of need? Where do you turn when you're facing trial? Uh, do you turn to, to physical possibilities and human odds? I do. <laughs> we all do. To answer the question for the impossible. But what our hearts need to understand is that we need to look to Jesus in, in, in the hour of need. Even right now in our current climate, we don't need stats. Um, we need Jesus. We need to trust that he is king and he is still on his throne and he has foresaw everything that's taking place even today. And, and we must trust in him. The crowds misunderstand Jesus' purpose. The disciples misunderstand Jesus' power. Both fail. Both fail the test. However, the last point. The crowds and the disciples' misunderstanding does not stop Jesus from doing the impossible. Like Jesus does the impossible regardless of the crowd's misunderstanding of him. Regardless of his disciples doubting his power, Jesus does the impossible. Jesus does the impossible by feeding the 5,000. Look, look uh, here. He had all he had, all Jesus had, the only food that was present was five barley loaves and two fish. Jesus multiplied that to, to feed 20,000 people. <laughs> 
Jesus also did the impossible by walking on water, even when his disciples um, misunderstood his power. Like he, he came out to them. Uh, look, look in verse 18. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. This strong storm wouldn't have been a shock to them. They were master fishermen. However, um, they, they had rowed about three or four miles out and they were caught in a storm. And then verse 19 says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. <laughs> the disciples were afraid. Like, what in the world is going on? Jesus is coming towards them. One of the other gospels makes mention that maybe they, saw a, they thought they saw a ghost. They were terrified. Jesus comes out to them. Jesus comes out to them to rescue them by, by walking on the water. They didn't call out to him in the, in the time of need. He came to them. And, and he came near the boat. And look at this. I find this so comforting for us today that even though we misunderstand Jesus' purpose, even though we misunderstand Jesus' power, that he comforts them. Comforts them not by bringing physical need, not by even really displaying his power, but by making mention of who he is. Look in verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. In the Greek, this is an I am statement. Ego, me. Jesus is making mention of who he is. And that ego, me, I am statement can be traced back to even Exodus when uh, Moses asked God who, who he should tell the people he is. And God said, I am. Jesus comforts by just his presence alone, just by making mention of, hey, remember who I am. Remember that I am God. I am in control of everything. Be comforted by that. And they were comforted by that. The, the, the text says that. They were glad to receive him, and they brought him into his boat, <laughs> and he brought the words of comfort in times of need. And, and also Jesus calms the storm. And, and Jesus redirects the boat to the shore in verse 21. Um, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going, which was a miracle in and of itself. Like, like they were in a storm and Jesus all of a sudden just brought them to, sh to the shore. What does all this mean for our lives today? Jesus remains who he is whether we understand or not. We might not understand his purpose. We might not understand his power. But he remains who he is um, whether we understand or not. And Jesus is worthy of following even when we don't understand. Like Jesus is following even when worthy of following even when we don't understand. Like he's God. He's worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise. And he's he comes to us, he has came to us in our need. We might find ourselves in one or two of these categories. We might find ourselves misunderstanding Jesus' power, misunderstanding Jesus' purpose. Or we might find ourselves in both of these categories. And, uh, and if you're honest with yourself, you probably do see yourself in one or two of these categories or both of them. But what you must realize is that Jesus comes to you and has come to us in a time of need. And he's died on the cross to take our shame, to take our sin. And he requires for us just to turn to him, turn to him in, in an hour of need and to repent of our sin and believe in him and we will be granted eternal life. In fact, in John chapter 6, a little later when he spends the whole next day talking about who he is and why he's come, uh, he t the people ask him uh, in, in, uh, in verse 28, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. The work of God for us is is 
is not to see a miracle, but to believe in Jesus, who God sent to give us eternal life, to forgive us of our sins. And all he requires of us is to turn from our sin and believe in him, and we will be forgiven of all of our sin. Um, let me pray for us this morning. This message was particularly shorter just because of being in, in live stream, but, uh, but let me pray for us this, this morning. Father, we come before you uh, this morning, and we, we thank you for uh, just your goodness and your grace towards us. We thank you that um, despite us misunderstanding you at times and despite us doubting your power at times, that you remain faithful. You come out upon the sea and, and rescue us in, in an hour of need. Um, even when we don't call upon you, if, if we are your people, you will provide for us. You have provided for us and we thank you for, for your grace. And uh, we just pray for your church this morning that uh, you'd be near to them. Um, as they, as their, as their hearts are anxious and afraid of the unknown, we pray, Jesus, that you would, you would communicate to to their lives that that you are in charge and that you know everything. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, it's not easy preaching to a camera. And so thank you for handling God's word so well today. And um, so your, your primary points were uh, the, the title of the message was the misunderstood Jesus. Mm -hmm. And point one was that the crowds, the people misunderstand Jesus's purpose. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, the disciples misunderstand Jesus's power. Mm -hmm. But in the end, Jesus does the impossible anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, just as we think about that, what um, I guess what in your mind, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but what in your mind, uh, how do you think that applies to kind of the current covid pandemic <clears throat> concerning purpose and power? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I mean, one, like there's so much unknown right now. Right. We don't really even understand the virus. I think some. Uh, scientists and doctors sort of try to make allusions to certain things, but we don't, we just really don't know. Um, we don't even understand that. And, and, uh, and in a time of, I guess, need and, and um, we, we need to turn to Jesus to understand the unknown, I guess, you know, like we don't know anything. So we got to look to God who, who does know everything and, and find comfort that he is, he is sovereign King and, and he's in, in control of everything. So, yeah, I, I think as we as we're traveling through the Gospel of John and this series was planned months ago, mm -hmm. I do think that there's a timeliness to this message in this day in that uh, we do kind of in light of all of uh, all that's going on around the world, maybe ask God what his purpose is in this. Like mm -hmm. if there is a good God, why would he allow yeah. uh, this kind of thing to happen? Um, but we realized that, 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 uh, Jesus allowed a crowd to follow him and actually read a point, uh, reach a point of like, there's no food. He knows mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's the one that brings it up for the first time. And so the fact that people are hungry or in need, yeah. um, he is not going to waste. He's mm -hmm. going to use that opportunity to show his power and, uh, and his, his aim is, and even in the storm, the disciples are in the middle of a storm. That's a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. If you read some of the other gospel accounts, it talks about them being in, in tremendous fear. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, um, Jesus isn't 
isn't afraid of leading us into even dangerous kinds of situations because he has something even greater that he's doing. Yeah. yeah. And so he cares because he does meet the need. He does calm the storm. And I do believe that that uh, there will come a day when this pandemic passes. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have a God that doesn't just try to make our lives easy or keep us from danger. Mm -hmm. He has bigger purposes than that. So he Mm -hmm. cares. He's present. He meets the needs, but he has a higher purpose. And I think you mentioned that. You know, the, the crowds, I think, misinterpreted uh, the bread to mean that, oh, this is going to be a guy who's going to make our lives easy mm-hmm. and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 what you were getting at, is that yeah. he did not come to be that kind of king. Right. Yeah. Now, you did mention that he did, while he, he didn't come to be that kind of king, he did come to be king. What did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Are those... Are those um, are those contradictory statements that he came to be king, but not be king? Can you yeah. kind of flesh that out for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think what I was getting at was that Jesus didn't come to just sort of be a, a, a king to kind of serve people's needs and provide for physical needs only, right? That Jesus didn't want anything to do with that, though he does do that. But his primary, primarily his his kingship has to do with the kingdom of, of heaven and him being the one who provides forgiveness of sin and, and so forth. Does that, does that kind of answer your yep. question? Yep. So I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah, good. So, so uh, yeah, I think in this time right now, we realize that God does have purposes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he does intend to display his power, I think through the church yeah, and through the gospel, through his people. Mm-hmm. So we should be the kind of people that are full of faith because we do, you know, neither the crowds nor the disciples, the spirit hadn't come yet mm-hmm. to kind of illuminate all that Jesus and Jesus said that when the spirit comes, he will teach you. He yeah. will lead you. He will teach you all the things that I've already taught you. And so we see that in this passage that the people following Jesus and the disciples themselves don't have the spirit. They don't fully understand Jesus yet. Right. But yeah, now this side of Pentecost, we do have the spirit and we do have the scriptures. And while not perfectly, we still have misunderstandings about Jesus. Yeah. His people have an opportunity to really show mm-hmm. that Jesus is with us in our affliction He's not going to waste it. He intends to meet it, but his highest aim is his glory yeah. for people to see him yeah. for who he is and understand him for why he right. came. Yep. So and if we're, yeah. And if we're his and we've repented of our sin and believe in Jesus alone for salvation, like he's gotten in our boat and he'll, he'll safely uh, bring us to shore, you know, his particular eternal life. Like there might be trials of various kinds and there might be a storm that never goes away. Like God doesn't sure. promise to take away the storm. Yeah. But one day, it, it, like you even mentioned in your prayer, like all all of our tears will be wiped away, and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more need um, in heaven. And that's that's the day that we all long for as Christians. Like no more sin, no more misunderstanding, no more doubting of His power. Like all of that will be on display in heaven. And um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Thank you, brother. And uh, next week, you, you kind of had to stop halfway through the chapter. Yeah, yeah. So next week, I'm going to be preaching, and uh, we'll come back to this, because the crowd finds Jesus mm-hmm. and then asks for more bread, and Jesus makes very explicit yeah. exactly what, what you were explaining from the text, mm-hmm. and we've been discussing now. Jesus himself will say it, and will right. say it better than either of us. Yeah, yeah so, exactly, exactly. So we encourage you to come back uh, next week, because this is kind of part one that leads yeah. into part two, yeah. as Jesus explains why he's not going to give them more bread the next day, yeah. and uh, and how that works out. So. Yeah. Uh, we want to take a few minutes. Uh, for those of you that are hanging in there with us, we um, we want to take just a few minutes. And I just want to introduce you to Jordan. You heard him preach. 
and I'm grateful for that. Um, but also, let's just take a few minutes. I just have a couple questions and want to just get your testimony. We want there to be a unique Redeeming Grace feel to this live stream, and I yeah. think testimonies is a way for us to uh, t- to stay connected and for this to be personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I wrote down some questions here. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and how you came to faith. I'll keep it PG since we're on the internet, I guess. Because <laughs> everything on the internet's uh, PG. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> good point. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, many people have probably heard my story, but uh, how I grew up, I, I grew up in a fairly dysfunctional home, and and uh, where where sin was kind of rampant. Christ wasn't at the center of my home, and um, my parents, both of them, made a number of sinful decisions that. Uh, not only affected their lives, but ours. And, uh, but there was, and I want to communicate this because they might very well listen, <laughs> listen to this. So I don't want to not bring honor to them. Not, um, they, they loved me despite them making terrible decisions. And my parent, both my parents loved me when I was a child and they never abandoned me, never forso- for- forsook me or anything like that. Um, and then by the time I was a teenager, uh, you know, um, I turned to drugs and alcohol to, to sort of fill that void in my heart of just pain and sorrow. Um, I like to get high all the time every day and I like to drink. I was drowning in my sorrows and that was my, that was my hope. That was my God. And, uh, struggled with that for, for many years and then grew up in Texas, I guess should mention that. And then, uh, moved up here, uh, with my dad, uh, after graduating high school and my dad sort of encouraged me to, uh, to start attending church, which that church happened to be South Canyon Baptist Church. And just by being there week in and week out, God had been drawing me to himself before that leading up to that event. However, just hearing the word preached every week just began to kind of give birth to questions in my mind about who he is, what does it mean to be a Christian. And so I just left many Sunday mornings um, you know, seeking and sort of hungry for uh, to know God and, and to know what it means to be a, a believer, really. Um, sorry, what was the other part of that question? <laughs> How did you come to faith? Okay, yeah, yeah. You're, you're close. I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so a number of events have, have, have took place. I started attending church just by the faithful hearing of, of, pre, of, pre, of the preaching of the word. I think I mentioned that. Um, but the really, the point in which my faith began to become sight um, was I went down to an Indian reservation, Old Pine Ridge, um, and there was a men's retreat there that I think Adam Hoyt was leading. And I don't know if you were, when did you get to South Canyon? 2014? 2013. 2013. Okay. But yeah, he wasn't there, but, uh, a number of South Canyon guys were, I think, uh, Adam Hoyt being one, I think Josh Reeves and Dylan, but that was the first, um, y- you know, I don't remember any particular clear gospel presentation happening there. I'm sure it did, but. I remember praying that evening and really just receiving Christ and saying, I, I believe firmly who you are now and um, I, I want to live my life for you. And, and I just remember like inviting him into my heart that night. And that was like the born again experience, you know, like what, what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, like I was born again <laughs> um, and just began to see life in a, in a new way. And then after that, I sort of got more clarity on just my sin and my need to uh, be forgiven of my sin and and that Jesus was the way in which I was going to be forgiven. And I remember clearly uh, one day in my basement apartment that I had on Fifth Street, I drew out this, uh, 
it's called the bridge illustration where you have like, you know, your humanity's over here, there's sin problem, and then there's this big gap, and, and then there's God, and then Jesus is kind of the, I remember just drawing that out and was like, oh, this, you know, it just made sense. It clicked, it clicked. the gospel made sense at that moment, um, that, that I was a sinner in need of reconciliation with God, and the only way to do that was by his son Christ and, and the forgiveness that he offers um, by his, his sacrificial death. So, yeah, that's a little bit about, I guess, does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So yeah. that was in 2013, uh, 2012? Yeah, so 2013 was the uh, the end of 2013. I think it was December or November. Okay. And then January of 2014, or, or April is when I got baptized. So yeah, it would have been around end of 2013, beginning of 2014 when, okay. when I began to really sort of be born again and... Uh, so you're about six years into yeah. walking with Jesus in a yeah. real serious way. God had been at work yeah. before that, but right. but really, that's good. Yeah, and, and I guess one other thing, sorry. Um, the local church, you know, as we're reading sort of, uh, I can really resonate with Mez McConnell's story. You know, I when I very first started coming to church, I felt out of place. I didn't understand all these christian terms, you know. Those aren't bad. There's just a certain language that the church has that I didn't um, didn't know, and it was all foreign to me, and the local church played a huge role in my conversion and not, and, and then also we're going to, the next question leading up to my call to ministry, like the local church was a central part of me growing. Like apart from that, I, I wouldn't have come to faith in Christ, you know? And so that's just a testimony that, Hey, what he's saying is real, like, because I'm a spitting image of that. So. Yeah. And Mez McConnell is uh, there's a book that we're oh, reading yeah, by yeah. him. He's a pastor in Scotland and uh, the point of his book is that the local church is God's plan A for mm-hmm. not just the salvation of people, but actually the meeting of all needs of people. Yeah. And at, the, at the base, we have spiritual need at the base, but there's physical needs too that, that, that then kind of flow out of that. So um, so anyway, his reference to Mez McConnell is the yeah. fact that a lot of us are reading that book. And if you want to jump, jump in on reading that book with us, we have a Zoom discussion at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and we would love to include you in on that. So uh, I've got two more questions. Kay. One is that Josie's here. She's right behind the camera. Yeah. The Internet cannot see her. But she's here. She didn't sleep through your message at all, <laughs> which was great. Um, tell us a little bit about how you guys met. And uh, let's see, you've been married like a year and a quarter. Yeah, a couple <laughs> right? months or something. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, um, uh, just tell us about Josie, how you guys met. Um how the last year has been, uh, and be yeah. careful. She's right here. And so. it's, this is all on the internet. Yeah, so. this is all on the internet. So. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, as you mentioned that she's a great encouragement to me, even like in preparing for a sermon, she, she helps me out quite a bit. Um, but how we met, well, we met on the internet, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I ordered her on eHarmony. She came in the mail a year later and we were married. So, uh, no, but we, yeah, we met on eHarmony and uh, we started emailing back and forth, which is weird because most people don't email these days, but we did. And um, our first couple of months, we just were like talking about theological like stuff the entire, you know, I was, I was in the TPA program at Timothy Pastoral Apprenticeship at South Canyon and I had just got done with systematic theology, thankfully, because Josie had asked me like, well, what is your view on, um, on, on complementarianism? You know, I'm like... Oh, good thing I just read Wayne Grudem because I have a perfect answer for that. Um, so anyways, yeah, so we met on eHarmony. We dated for nine, well, I don't know, eight months, eight months or so. And then we got engaged in May of, oh boy, 2018. May of 2018, 
um, is when we got engaged, and then we got married in December of 2018, and um, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> That's how we met. That's and currently, um, our past year of marriage has been great. Has been such a joy. Like I've learned so much in my first year of marriage, and a little bit about. Um, sorry, I can ramble on for a while, but uh, a little bit about my background too. Like when I became a Christian, I didn't date as a Christian because I just had one growing up and in a broken home, I just had like a bad taste in my mouth about marriage. And I was convinced really early on as a Christian, like, Hey, I'm not going to just date to date anymore. Like if we're going to date, we're going to get married, you know, we're going to be thinking about marriage. And so, um, I felt that I was called to singleness even for a number of years. And, uh, and even told like my parents and my dad, like, I'll never get married. Like, I'm not, not going to get married. I'm totally content in my singleness had no interest in, in dating or anything like that. But God sort of worked in my heart and, uh, you know, told me that I needed a spouse. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, leading up to even us getting married, I, I don't want to sound like super spiritual, but I prayed one evening and um, I felt the Lord was really calling me to marriage and I had been uh, convinced of that through a number of teachers. Um, and I won't go into details about that, but... <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just, I prayed one night and I felt prompted to get on eHarmony. That's, that wasn't my style. Um, however, I, that's what happened. And I met my wife two weeks later. I hope, you know, that's not the sto- same story for everyone else, but uh, it is for me. Awesome. <laughs> I like to give them a hard time sometimes about this. Uh, yeah. That's why I it's, asked uh, the question. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's why I'm grinning. So I was privileged to be able to do, uh, the premarital counseling, Bree and I with Jordan and Josie and, and really yeah. grateful for their friendship and the opportunity to be in, get involved in their life. One last question and All then right. we'll, uh, I'll have a benediction and we'll be done. Okay. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the call God's laid <clears throat> on your life. Yeah. Kind of where that came from, how that's been progressing, where you're at now, where that's going. Mm-hmm. So kind of the whole sweep. Yeah. Um, Without rambling too much. Okay. We've heard a lot from you already, but yeah, okay. let give us the story. Um, yeah, so so called the ministry uh, and how that all worked out. Uh, fairly early on, I lived with Adam Hoyt for about a year. And uh, if, you, if you live with Adam, he's going to make you into a missionary. It's just going to happen. Who's Which, Adam Hoyt? Adam Hoyt uh, um, uh, was a church member of South Canyon who's now... Maybe since we're on the internet, I should tell where he's at. But he's somewhere in, around the world uh, yeah. and preaching the gospel and, and planting churches and so forth. Um, but he just had a tremendous impact on my life and encouraged me to very early on in my conversion. Hey, you need to be sharing the gospel. Um, you need to be committed to the local church. And you need to, and you need to, and you need to know about missions. And uh, so I went on a short-term mission trip with him in 2014 to Malaysia and uh, was there for two weeks and got back and was just on fire and really saw the need around the world, but um, but was was but was aware that I needed to stay faithful with what God had given me. And around that time, I even Josh sort of I guess noticed me and noticed my zeal for Christ and was like, "Hey, do you want to help out a youth group?" And I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah, sure," you know. <laughs> and uh, and so I do. And and there was a two year period that went on where I just was remaining faithful with what God had given me, teaching middle school boys and youth group, various opportunities there. And, uh, and I think a lot of like my call even to ministry, like I sense that innerly, like I I want to be doing something more than my day-to-day, like normal job. I was content there, but I felt like the Lord was leading me maybe to 
I could I didn't I couldn't visualize that like what that was um, in terms of like maybe even pastoral ministry or elder type ministry, and uh, so I felt that innerly, but and it was externally confirmed by by even you guys and and Pastor Brent and Josh, um, which I think is is what a call should be like. Our call from God isn't isn't just oh I'm feeling this inside you know it's confirmed by the church and by your leaders. And so you even, you encouraged me to just enjoy the TPA program. And so not to make you feel uncomfortable, but you're a big part of my call to ministry. Um, let's see, where am I at? Up, okay, up until now. Uh, so I've been in seminary for a couple of years and God's been really clarifying like, okay, what, what kind of ministry are we called to? And uh, we sense even now um, that we're called to even church planning type ministry, um, elder type leadership ministry, and uh, I feel called, I just have a great love for God's people. And so I think he's, he's making a pastor out of me, but I'm not hundred <laughs> percent sure of that yet. Um, and that's kind of scary as well. But, um, but I think that's, and we're, we're in the process with the IMB um, to go overseas in a couple of years and be doing church planning, be a part of a church plant. It would, our lives would look very similar to what we're doing right now. Um, however, obviously much different being in a foreign context and learning the language and all other stuff. So um, does that answer your question? Yes, that's okay. good. Yep. So, so not short, shortly after your conversion, you began to sense that yeah. maybe God was drawing you into like actually wanting to give yourself vocationally to ministry, particularly right. missions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you also joined Adam overseas for six months yep, yep, with I've another missionary. Correct. And yep. that was really critical. I remember giving you counsel to go, you know, go, go yeah. more, more than just a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, really get a feel for the difficulty, the isolation, the cultural, like right. all that stuff. And I yeah. think you went through the ups and downs of it and came back. I remember, I think I was just thinking like a month or two and you're like, I'm going for six months. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you'll definitely know if you're called to missions <laughs> or not. And you came back and it was, it God really yeah. used that to confirm. And that would be my advice to anyone is that if you're sensing that internal call confirmation from the church, Absolutely. just being faithful in the little things is yeah. huge. And then if it's, particularly if it's missions, go overseas more than just for the short-term trip. Anyone can have a good week, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to go long enough to really feel isolated, really feel, yeah. you know, all the, you know, all the, all the, uh, difficulties that come with that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you definitely came back. And I think that was clear that, that God had, had placed that in your life. And then Josie coming along and having the same passion. Uh, was a clear confirmation yeah. as well. And so it's that's good. So you're, you're attending Midwestern. You're doing yep. seminary classes. Correct. I just got several emails from you last week yeah. about your application, you and Josie's application yep. for the IMB. The IMB is the International Mission Board of mm -hmm. the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest missionary sending a agency in the world. Yep. And, uh, and so you guys are beginning the process of that. Mm -hmm. It's probably a year and a half or two years at the quickest yeah, that you would years, actually be... Uh, approved and sent. Yeah. So we have you here at Redeeming Grace for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you're starting that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the IMB requires some seminary education. Correct. As well as a pretty lengthy uh, process. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Well. Thanks for sharing your testimony with us yeah. and uh, for sharing God's word with us. And thank you for those of you that joined us. This is our very first live stream. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.